tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. Winning time, episode two is over. We are just getting started. My name is Grace. We are here to recap. Is that all there is? The second episode of the HBO miniseries, uh, Winning Time. Uh, uh, I'm here with my co-host, Jason. Jason, how you doing? Grace, I'm doing great. Another another week, another uh, another side of, of Urban Magic Johnson we get to see. Yeah, um, more Jerry Best wheeling and dealing. Um, yeah, making some friends. We can introduce his arch rival, uh, who I presume is our truck, the Boston Celtics, and their owner. Um, so yeah, a fun episode. Um, but we are not alone to talk about it. Uh, we have a very special guest. I'm very excited to be podcasting with this individual. Uh, it's the great, the wonderful Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how you doing? Grace, I'm doing very well. Thank you. And thank you, Jason, for having me on the podcast here. I'm very excited to be talking about this show. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan, uh, so I'm a fan of the sports talk you guys have done, and I'm a big NBA fan. Uh, and I consumed the book that the show is based on over the summer and excitement for this show. I like Adam McKay. I'm just, I was really in on all the pedigree of this show, so I'm thrilled to come onto this podcast to talk to you about it. Yeah, super exciting. I know those are all the the Venn diagram of like a sports fan, uh, Adam McKay fan. Uh, it's perfect. This is the perfect right. show. Um, you had watched, uh, or sorry, you had read the book, uh, something that Jason and I have not gotten around to to doing. Um, the book. Um, it's on the list as a uh, yeah. As as Jerry told uh, told Kareem, what yeah. are you <laughs> what's reading his book? Yeah, what are you reading? <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, I mean, so far, two episodes in, very early uh, into the run of this show. Um, but are, are you feeling like, uh, you know, so again, it's so early, but are you feeling like uh, the adaptation uh, is working so far based on on, on the book? Uh, do you feel like, uh, how, how is it, how's it feeling to you? I think so. It feels pretty good. Uh, the book is a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories, and it's a kind of a tell-all and a deep dive on all aspects of the Lakers franchise over a period of years. So, so far what the show is adapting is really the first couple of chapters of the book or when you get when you meet a new character, uh, the, the author would typically do a dive on that author, you know, that character's backstory. So and so came from here. They had worked here. Uh, maybe it's a paragraph uh, in the case of Mrs. Rothman, uh, or maybe it is a, a full chapter in the case of someone like Jerry Buss. Uh, but you're going to get their backstory. And of course, we're getting that uh, in, in piecemeal throughout the course of these first couple of episodes. So I do think they're doing a good job adapting the early parts of the book. Uh, the sand dab story that you guys had a lot of fun with last week <laughs> was, of course, um, a very true to life right out of the book, uh, something that definitely happened and uh, was told from a lot of different perspectives in terms of the way Magic's father reacted, the way Magic reacted, the way Jack Kent Cook reacted, the way Bus reacted. It was sort of a hallmark for all these characters. So some of these things are coming right out of the pages of the book 
and onto the screen. And some of them are being flushed out a lot more. Uh, Miss Claire Rothman, the character, uh, for example, she is presented initially as more of an afterthought in the book. She's presented with her credentials as somebody who achieved so much in the job that she did. But she's presented as somebody that Jack Kent Cook would be rate, and that's how the character is introduced. And I really like what they're doing with that character in a way that's different to the book. So some of the things they're doing, are it's really adapting the book well in the ways I think the book needs to be adapted well. And some are different. So I'm, I'm very excited and I've enjoyed these first two episodes a lot. Yeah. Um, overall, uh, just, I, I found that this episode was, was a strong episode. Um, I felt that this episode was a little, uh, wheel spinny. I think one of the things I complimented the show on last week is premieres are really hard to nail. Um, that it has to hook you. It has to be strong, but also sometimes, you know, they have to set up the whole premise. Um, I think, a show like Winning Time has an advantage in that um, we we know uh, a lot of uh, this stuff. We we know who the you know the Los Angeles Lakers are. This is not like a new world. I think for a lot of people who are watching uh, the show, perhaps sports in the late seventies is a little bit of a new um, world, but but sports in general is not new. So I was really impressed last week by how good I thought like the the character work was, and and that they managed to avoid some of of the setup nature of, of the show, even though there was some of that, you know, uh, Jack Cook um, and and Jerry Buss buying the team um, and some of the other stuff uh, that happened. And then I felt like we got into this episode. I was kind of expecting Magic to be out of Lansing, Michigan. He, he's going to be in LA. We're going to be starting training camp, and we're going to work through some of this stuff. Um, and no, we're 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 not at training camp. Uh, yet again, I would say last week, very little basketball on the show. Once again, very little bas- basketball on the show, which is not uh, a critique for me. I think that's totally fine. Uh, if I want to watch basketball, there's basketball on television. I could go watch it. I'm watching a TV show, so I'm totally fine with that. Um, I felt it was a little bit, uh, it felt a little wheel spinny um, to me. I don't know, Jason, what did you think about this episode overall? Yeah, so I mean, we talked last week about uh, so what are, what is the progression going to be like for this season? Uh, since we did know it was a limited series, are they going to go through the whole, uh, you know, kind of the start of the dynasty in this series? It looks like no, we're going to really kind of slow play this. We're going to, it seems like it's maybe not even a week out from the events of the last episode. So I think we're just going to, we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of slow burn this. I, I have to wonder how many episodes we're going to get into before we get like an actual game, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I know that there are some folks on on the uh, on the Discord in the Winning Time channel. Jared was saying that he actually loved that there was not a big time jump. He loved sort of sitting in this. Um, Antonio, what what did you think of the pacing of the show so far? And again, I want to give like the show a bunch of credit. I, I feel bad that I'm like after two episodes, like the show has not yet told us what it is. Uh, a Josh Wiggler phrase, um, you know. Um, but at the same time, I do come on the podcast and talk about the show after each episode. So I'm like, I felt a little wheel spinning. I don't know. What do, do it's a, agree disagree, Antonio? I think it'd be both. I mean, I, I do agree with you, Grace, that uh, that the show did feel a little bit replotty in a way. Like it ends with the big uh, speech by Jerry Buss at the end that felt like it could have been at the end of episode one saying the old Lakers are dead and I'm the new Lakers and I'm here. That did feel like it could have been in episode one and we could be right where we are. So it did feel in some ways like we were still just keeping these pieces separate and apart. But in a lot of ways, the book, as I said, is about the, the, the minute detail of some of these events, uh, whether it's how much uh, what Magic Johnson's life was like in East Lansing or whether it's all of the ways that Jerry Buss was dealing with integration to the group of NBA owners and finding his way through there and ruffling some feathers and having some issues like these are all things that are details from the book. The book focuses extensively on these things because it sets the stage. It isn't so much. I mean, the book does get into 
season by season, sometimes series by series, blow by blow, some of the big seasons of the Lakers that Jerry Buss builds, but they do spend a lot of time getting into the backstory of all of the people involved in them. And so I think that does mean going back to West Virginia in 1951 and seeing what Jerry West's upbringing was like, because that influences the Jerry West that we meet as a LA Laker uh, coach and now no longer coach by the end of this episode. So I think by virtue of adapting a book that does this sort of storytelling, this is what the show is on some level. It is a show that is going to be going deep on all of these various elements of what it's like to establish a championship team. And it seems to be okay with taking its time in that regard. I will be interested to see how they play with that, um, how much time they have mapped out over the course of the show, because Look, Jerry Buss, spoiler alert, small spoiler alert. I don't spoiling a little bit of real life. He's no longer with us. He is deceased. Mm-hmm. He has ceased mm-hmm. to be in like 2013, right? So yeah. up until then, he and his family pretty extensively involved with the LA Lakers. So how far are we going to go with this story? Uh, are they going to spend a lot? Is this just about the inception of the dynasty? And if so, we're going to be like this every week. We're going to go deep every single week like this. Or is it really just about the Showtime era of the Lakers? And maybe this is like the prequel part so that we're not seeing any games yet, but we will be seeing them. I tend to agree with you, Grace, that I don't really need the sport element of it too much. I don't need the games because whatever they shoot is probably going to disappoint me. So far, it's been okay. I will say so far it's been okay, but uh, I'm just probably going to be remarking or commenting on how how it looks as it's filmed. But if they use archival footage or there are interesting things they could do, there are there are good ways to do that. So I do want to see some of that. But I like the deep dive. I like that they're going deep on all these characters, their their thoughts, their backstories, what motivates them. And I, as long as the show remains entertaining, which it does, uh, and it feels like it has energy, which it still does after two episodes to me, I'm good. I'm on board. So so far, so good for me. Yeah, some of the best like sports uh, movies shows don't really show a lot of the of the actual of the actual sporting ball taking place. And it, it, but I would like to see what it's like in season for the for the players, even in their everyday lives. Don't, I don't necessarily need a whole you know a whole game. Yeah, Moneyball is like one of my favorite movies. I feel like there's like very little actual baseball in that movie. You know, like uh, sometimes yeah, you can do more with with less. Um, the other thing too, I think just to, to note about the pacing is. I feel like I'm very used to, to TV shows come out and having the eight episode run. And this is a 10 episode uh, run. Okay. I, I do believe it is 10 episodes. Um, so that is, uh, I think, you know, it doesn't sound like much to say, oh, what's the difference between eight and 10? But it is two whole episodes. Um, and so maybe I'm a bit used to the pacing of an eight episode season. A lot of the shows that I've been watching and, and this is uh, a little longer. So um, even if not by much, I think that that does make a difference. Um, Jason, should we start? Let's start chatting through the episode. You got the plot for us. Uh, yeah, uh, as Antonio mentioned, we opened in uh, West Virginia, nineteen fifty-one. Uh, there seems to be a, a domestic dispute uh, happening. There's a seemingly a husband yelling at a wife, and we cut to a, a young child um, as he kind of is is playing by himself. And then we cut to a coffin in the living room, and, and you know, there's a lot of disparaging remarks about the, about the young boy that's that's there. Uh, how you know he, he's the bad one, really disparaging him. I mean, he's only like eight to nine years old. <laughs> Which seems odd to be disparaging this young child. Uh, did you did you guys know immediately who who this young child was? I, I had I did not know who this was. Uh, Antonio, you you probably knew, right? I only knew because of the book uh, and because yeah, okay. this this whole domestic element, uh, the domestic violence, the abusive father, uh, losing the brother. That is a big part of the Jerry West story, um, and so that's in the book, and that is something I didn't know. 
prior to watching the show uh, and did pick up from the book. So that's the only reason I knew. Also, in, in some way, I feel like they did a really good job casting that kid. He looked like yeah. Jason Clark yeah, to me. He really did. I was like, who is this? Maybe it's Jason Clark's real son. That's it could be. That makes yeah. sense. That, that, yeah. The show has a has a habit of doing that. It does. Um, uh, so then we cut to to a, a a still Jerry West, you know, winning his one and only championship he ever won, and he's just just kind of standing there dejected. And uh, and afterwards, he sits in a bar after winning the championship, and a you know a woman comes up to him and you know is obviously sad. She says she doesn't feel real, does it? And Jerry, you know, and they have a little conversation, and then Jerry realizes, oh, you're not sad for the reason I'm sad. You're sad because someone's dead. Um, I love when they pan over and it just it says like you know Bob, and they turn out and there's the picture that says Bob dead <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah he says that you know he didn't lose for once she you know she says well you look like you you're you lost something he's like well you know for once i actually didn't lose uh they cheers to happy endings and then we get a you know a very rigorous uh scene afterwards uh, of them uh having sex let's yeah, say uh, that uh, uh, our, our uh lakers fan uh josh lemur said i cannot believe that a jerry west sex scene is a thing that exists in the world <laughs> now <laughs> and they probably think of, of, of what most people think of as jerry west you know in his later years probably yeah <laughs> uh, as they see that yeah he said it's incredibly surreal uh so yeah uh yeah she finds the confetti in his his hair says yeah i've been looking for that my whole life um i think really good here if i think that there's a sort of one thing from last week is um we get a lot of jerry west last week but he's very angry and i do love that this sets up um why he might uh, have reason um to be angry i do like that they acknowledge the championship win that he has um interestingly i, I kind of assume that like his championship win came before he loses a, a bunch but no it's it's kind of the opposite. Like uh, he keeps losing to the Celtics. And then the other piece of this I didn't know is that like, he doesn't beat the Celtics. It's not like he gets redemption over the Boston Celtics. I believe the Lakers beat the Knicks to win the one championships that Jerry, that Jerry West um, uh, has won. And I feel like there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, to have won one, to at least have won a championship uh, is, you know, it feels like that flies in the face of this guy who um, is so upset about, losing all the time like at least he did win um, but i think that these these backstories show um, why he might be uh competitive trying to prove himself and all of those losses uh weigh on him to the point where he can't even really enjoy uh the one time that he does win so yeah, he enjoyed it a little bit yeah, he did enjoy very... okay he did he enjoy it in a sense yeah yes there was yeah. a happy ending i think yeah true story. cheers <laughs> to happy endings yeah hopefully a couple yeah <laughs> Um, but I mean, I think it's this whole episode is kind of a deconstruction of like Jerry West. Like we go through the ups and as they call it, the ups and downs, which I think we would now call as depression. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so we, yeah. we, 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 we kind of see how they how that's dealt with in that time period, which is, you know, uh, a far sight from how we deal with those things now. But it's, it was interesting to see his his many moods and his many levels in this in this episode. I will say that is something that I, I think for me as a sports fan and somebody who had known about Jerry West as the logo, uh, Jason, as you were saying earlier, like my impression of the Jerry West as an older man uh, contrasted with the sex scene is something. But my impression with Jerry West overall uh, as a as a as an executive, as a general manager, as a, as a person making trades and as somebody who works really hard in the business of the NBA, um, I never realized that he was this, that he had the attitude uh, that he did. And I, and, and I mean like this relentless attitude of not being satisfied, never being happy, no matter the result. That comes right off the pages of the book. And that was truly surprising to me because that is not what his public image was to me, at least. 
as a sports fan prior to reading that book. Uh, and so I'm glad that they're capturing what the author's perception from the conversations the author had about Jerry West was from that book, because that is that is very much something that was in the book and not something that was with me in real life. Yeah, I've seen I've noticed a lot of uh, a lot of chatter online about uh, his old colleagues coming forth and saying, well, he wasn't really exactly like that. He was, you know, not as hot tempered. He was, you know, a little more, uh, you know, not mild mannered, but he wasn't as hot as they portray him in the TV show. That's fair. The up and down part uh, of the depression was the part that really stood out to me. The fact that he had a lot of anxiety and that he had a lot of depression was something that I read about in the book. Uh, and then I, I'm glad they, as you point out, the way that they captured it then uh, wasn't necessarily how we would confront it now. Um, but I think that the presence of what that really was uh, and probably PTSD from his upbringing and uh, from losing his brother, from uh, having the abuse of family. Um, those were all things he carried with him. Uh, through his time, I guess, as somebody who worked for the Lakers or as a player, uh, and it informed his worldview. So I like seeing that. And it, the Jason Clark performance may be taking liberties with some of the hot and cold moments, uh, but it, it is, I think, something that um, adds a lot of depth to somebody. I, I, I bring this up because there's a lot of these type of shows right now, right? We've got the dropout going on about Theranos. Mm -hmm. We've had all the American crime stories where you're picturing real-life people or you're portraying real-life people. And for most of us, who will never interact with Jerry West, never meet anyone who interacted with Jerry West, never really know the measure of the man. Uh, we're going to get that from these portrayals uh, in, in in TV shows. So I at least appreciate on some level that they're willing to show that this is a guy who suffered with anxiety and depression because that is not part of a, a typical 1970s athlete story. Uh, and so seeing it in this show, especially a show that's goofy and fun and funny, um, it's just interesting to me that that's uh, something the show's wanting to take on. Uh, and I think these historic shows can go a lot of different ways uh, and they can take liberties with characters in some ways, one way or the other. So I I'm fascinated. Are you are you are either of you watching any of these current like uh, new reality shows or, or, you know, fictional retellings of a current history? Uh no, I, I I haven't not started the dropout. I'll be watching a great coverage on PSR uh, with Ariel and Marissa covering uh, the dropout. What about you, Jason? Uh, it's on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Peak I mean, TV, we, Antonio, if you haven't heard, it's peak TV. It is peak There's TV. a lot of TV. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I, to the point of like, is this the most accurate portrayal of Jerry West? I, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the line of the show uh, seems to be, I don't know who passed this memo around. Uh, but the idea is that this is a love letter to the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't know if uh, anybody has heard that, but it's been like basically everybody who works on the show has given that exact quote this is a love letter to the los angeles lakers and so for me as somebody who's like not inherently a lakers fan it doesn't really matter to me if jerry west is exactly portrayed as exactly jerry west uh was uh to me it's more interesting if the tv show is interesting i think jason clark is uh really performing uh, this role i think quite rather strongly uh he's kind of i think the person from episode one i was kind of maybe perhaps out of the main cast the least interested in um and i know that like his role will now change but I think the performance was really strong um, here, especially in this episode. I uh, gave more depth uh, to the character. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if I'm like exactly the right person because I, I care if it's more entertaining rather than if it's, uh, you know, exactly what happened. We were having a conversation about the spoilers in the show, uh, you know, whether we can spoil things that happen in real life. You know, uh, do people care if we tell them exactly the years that Los Angeles Lakers will end up winning, like spoiler, they win championships. Uh, do you care if you know what year they, they, they win? Um, but also like, it is a TV show. It's going to take liberties. So we could presume that things will happen the way they happen. And they could also take liberties and change that. Right. So. 
Yeah, I can see knowing the real guy and taking taking exception to it. But I think as far as a TV product, uh, Jerry West is, is plenty entertaining so far. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to the boardroom of the Lakers and they're kind of break, trying to try, try to get the roster together, trying to figure out where they're going to get players or who they want to cut, who they want to add. Uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of discussion about around the team. They talk about, we're not going to trade uh, Kareem. <laughs> and then and then Bust just bursts in like the Kool-Aid man says, good, we're not going to trade the MVP. Sounds like smart basketball, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Buss kind of wants to be part of all the meetings and he wants to be, be part of the decisions. Uh, then we get, we get Bill who is, who, who exactly is Bill? Is it Bill the general, general manager? Bill? I believe. Yeah. Right. Is it the time? Yeah. Yeah. So Bill's the GM and Bill says, you know, let us take care of the, the heavy stuff and we'll, we'll bring you in. You know, when, when we're, there's a little more, a little less stuff to be cut down, we'll let you know. We'll give kind of give them the brush off saying, you know, we'll, we'll call you when we need you. Uh, yeah. One thing I got to say about uh, about John C. Riley, I like the taco meat there in his uh, in his uh, in his chest. <laughs> yes. The it does not uh, the, the many of the buttons on his shirt are, are not doing anything. Yeah, <laughs> he's, allergic, he's allergic to those buttons. He's yeah, allergic to right. throughout that's the whole right. episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I like it. I like uh, I like this uh, scene here. Uh, West is um, not particularly happy with Bus coming in because he feels like he's going to be like every other owner that's ever you know. Uh, and he, he has this great line, I think, where um, uh, he says like, uh, "Does that sound like basketball talk to you?" I think they they talk about you know uh, why can't I have been able to get uh, another player uh, Haywood? Why have I not been able to sign him? And, and Bill says it's business. He says, yeah, see, it's not basketball. It's business. Um, and so he sees Bus as as. He's going to be the same as everybody else that um, I could make all I, I could tell you exactly how to win a team. I could tell you how to build a team and you'll eventually say, no, it costs too much money um, or, or no for for any other uh, reasons. And I think this is the best uh, example so far. We get a little bit of like um, the confrontation between West and Bus in the previous episode. It's mostly centered around like just drafting Magic Johnson. And I think that um, this does a really good job at highlighting um who like how West perceives the basketball landscape and, and perhaps why basketball is failing uh, at, at the moment um, that um, the business uh, side of things, uh, it, it, you know, uh, limits a lot of, of the product you could actually put on the court. Uh, and it also gives us some insight into um, the type of owner that uh, Jerry Buss will be. And it was really interesting being in that boardroom as they're talking about uh, the roster. And they really, they, it really kind of boils down to business transactions. He's like, I want to buy this person. <laughs> But 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 uh but Bill is saying it's too expensive as you know as if the players are commodities or if they're objects. It, that is a huge part of it, and I that jumped out to me as well. Uh, so did the racism. You got you you, oh, you all were talking yes. you yes. all were talking last week about the subtle not even subtle racism but just the casual racism of that was being presented in the first episode. Just things that were comments. I mean, the beloved Lakers broadcaster Chick Hearn is in this scene, and he's talking about not wanting to to acquire a certain player uh, because of his political views. And it's just like, well, this is a very 2021 conversation happening in 1979, and it's extremely disappointing to hear the exact same things being echoed uh, by some of the same people in the same positions of power as they were in 1979. And yet the show just puts it out there, just says this is exactly what people are dealing with, uh, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism. Like if you're going to if you're going to show a work any workplace in 1979, it will be rampant with these sorts of things by uh, by our appropriate standards in the modern times uh, that we would look down on. But 
never mind a sports workplace, right? Never mind one with filled these that's filled with these ex-athletes or filled with people who have these narrow-minded views who see human beings as commodities to be bought and sold, uh, who who look at them that way. So um, it, it, I think it, it, the show has a very difficult choice to make in terms of how much they want to lean into that. And I think by just making it latent and oppressive and ever present, uh, I think they do a really good job of that. Yeah, I think I think the decision they made is the right one because I think we want to see kind of truth in what actually happened, right? I mean, the only difference between now and then is that now it's a little more hush hush. If we had a like a a cell phone like video of of a a boardroom meeting like this, we might be shocked that now this day and age people will be saying that maybe not so shocked to some people, but I think people openly talk like this back then, and it doesn't it didn't matter who was there, they would just talk like it because that was the talk of the time. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting here that like Bus clearly gives a reaction to that to the comment raised like uh, um, his his back to Africa attitude. I believe is like the, mm-hmm. something close to that is what what he says. That's why they don't want to trade for him. And Bus gives a look, but he does not say anything. Uh, he does not. So it's not like uh, we're going to put him in a situation and you know, if we're going to make uh, Jerry Bus this like. Uh, not racist character uh you said he's not like he's going to say oh hey that's ra- that's racist because at the time you, he wouldn't do that right like jerry right. but probably to do that he's just going to let the comments slide and if he sort of like disagrees with it morally it's not at the time it's not even something that you would you would oh hey that's racist you just sort of move on uh right. i think it's like an interesting uh, approach here that like he does give this look like that's wrong um but i'm also not going to like stop down and be like you're being racist you know right yeah because right. he knows the falling deaf ears <laughs> but uh but sure. west and bus get into this uh you know west goes on a diatribe about how he doesn't he never gets what he wants he always tells the bosses what he needs but he never gives them because it's too expensive but then bus goes ahead and calls his bluff and says well i'm gonna go ahead and give you whatever you need really money's no object get what you need which is probably the worst thing that he could have done to jerry west uh it turns out uh so you know at, at that point it's like west now it all falls on him to make this championship team because it would it would be his decisions that affect the team yeah he tells them uh you know uh, other than you know i told you i just need to we need to draft magic you need to play magic every other basketball decision is up to you let me know what you need. And also Wes really had said, like, you know, once you see the price tag, your sphincter. <laughs> you yeah. know, he goes, leave the budget to me and leave my tiny little sphincter. I don't know what he says. Leave my sphincter my to me. Beautiful. I think the word beautiful. My beautiful sphincter <laughs> to me. Yeah. Him and Maria. Or what is it? Maria. The woman he's brought into the meeting. Yeah. 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 So we cut to to Jerry going Jerry Bus going to the owners meeting. He meets up with Daniel Stern, uh, who will be the commissioner at you know some point in the future. Um, so Stern tells Bus that there were some people who didn't want Bus to buy the Lakers, as you know, as Bus is glad handing with all the owners, and the owners like, yeah, I voted for you. He's like, no, he didn't. That guy he didn't, didn't vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Stern tells tells Bus that you know they were re- worried about these re- you know real estate types like Bus who would come in just wanting to buy low and then sell high. Yeah, David Stern is not would not yet be the commissioner uh, of the league, right? So he must have some position in the uh, uh, in the NBA office, but uh, he does not become commissioner for another, I believe, uh, five years uh, or so. I think nineteen eighty four he becomes commissioner. But I I love the portrayal here of of David Stern. Very fun uh, to see him to see him here guiding uh, Bus through the owners meeting. Yeah, and this is a good example of of having to you you're going to be dealing with somebody a very public face who people know and have a, a preconception about. So now you're going to be showing them what they were like in 1979 and how they relate to characters that we care about or will grow to care about. 
it's fascinating that the show can just slide a David Stern in here uh, just much. And we'll talk about some of the other characters that they bring in real life people that they bring into the mix in this episode. But they're going to be doing that throughout. And it will be fascinating to see if they if it's a rogues gallery of character actors and noted people or, or, or who gets the unknown treatment uh, and is cast with an unknown and who gets the guest star treatment and is cast with a guest star. Uh, it, it will be fascinating for me to see how they pull that off. But I mean, these are all real people, obviously, down to like some of the owners that are referenced by by first names. Y'all mentioned last week about the Donald Sterling of it all, how Donald mm-hmm. Sterling comes up. Like These are all it. Anytime you read a biography or any kind of book about anything that happened among people in power in the 1970s, it's just a rogues gallery of horrible people uh, who yeah. went on to do horrible things in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Like if you read a history, for example, of the Nixon presidency, it's just a it's just a laundry list of people who were involved in later scandals in the 80s yeah. and 90s. And so like these are all people. This is where they got their start. Like this is where they they made their bones. Yeah, um, and so I don't, I don't know if we'll get more David Stern because we could, uh, we certainly could get into uh, what made David Stern, and we could tie that into some of this story, some, or if this is just kind of a wink and a nudge, like here's David Stern, you guys all know him, right? So it'll be interesting to see uh, w- whether they bring more people like this in or not. It reminds me of when you go back to watch like a, you know, you, you go to rewatch a sitcom that aired like 10 years ago and that show had like every up and coming actor. So then you're like, oh, it's that comedian. Like they're they're in a, they're in a show that I watch now, you know, like, uh, you just, like in that Golden Girl spin. Yeah. You just like keep you just keep like pointing at the screen to be like uh, seeing the, the actor who's like made it big since uh, the, the show, you know, uh, yeah. it's kind of the same feeling here when you're like, oh, David Stern. Uh, yeah. OK, yeah. I know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we get the big legendary meeting between Jerry Buss and Red Auerbach. Uh, Auerbach, who is uh, at the time the uh, the owner of the or coach of the Celtics, and he wants uh, Buss wants to pick Auerbach's brain about making the Lakers a winning team. As if I, I thought that was pretty weird. Like, can you help me uh, beat you? Yeah. I do love uh, David Stern says because uh, I want to go meet uh, Red Auerbach. He's like the Pope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> takes him over to to meet him. Of course, smoking a a cigar. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. He's like, uh, you know, I, you know, help me. Uh, I would, I would like to compete with you. So can you help me? Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this meeting is uh, pretty much up until now, whoever bus meets with, he's able to kind of charm them and, you know, I don't want to say con them, but he's able to really kind of convince them to, to see things his way or do things his way. But red really, you know, is, is an obstacle for him. And I think throughout the episode that really lionizes uh bus to, to, to really, think things a different way having michael chiklis play that role uh as red Auerbach, just a an emmy award-winning actor a dramatic actor a guy that without all of the red Auerbach gear on uh, would probably be a recognizable face to many you're sort of inviting him to play play it in a fun very foil way in a way that really pops off the screen i think you bring him in for that reason so i agree like it was really good to to kind of see the way the dynamic shifted, as you're pointing out, Jason, how in almost every other interaction, Jerry Buss is the one who is sort of taking people and disarming them. And he's uh, later we'll talk about the steak dinner that they have that turns into a lobster and steak dinner uh, yeah. that that yeah. disarms Jerry Buss in a way. So it is it is fascinating to see how that evolves. Uh, Josh Lemer uh, says that I'm he's sure that uh, some Boston Celtics fans will have issue with uh, Red Auerbach being cartoonishly villainous. Um, but as a lifelong Lakers fan, he found it pretty spot on uh, the portrayal. So yeah. <laughs> good yeah. to know. Yeah. Well, there was certainly no more scenery to be chewed after after Michael Chiklis got through with with his no scenes. doubt. Yeah. 
so then we cut over to Lansing, Michigan, over to the land of magic. Uh, so we, we, we cut in on, we find out that magic has bought his mom a, a new hot tub. Um, magic's just, mom's not very happy sweet. about it. I know. Yeah. Uh, magic is like, uh, I love this scene of like, he feeling like he's on top of the world. Number one draft pick. He got a lot of money, uh, from, from, uh, his signing bonus. Uh, he says folks in Lansing love their boy. And you look over and his mom just looks so not pleased with him. And I feel like what a relatable feeling to just like, it doesn't really matter if everybody else is loving you at the moment. If your mom is unhappy with you <laughs> in the moment, uh, that's a tough you see, feeling. You, you just feel yeah. like crap. Like if you're, yeah. if you're, if you're the, yeah. the man about town, your mom's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're still you just the, yeah, my, you're my boneheaded son. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough that, that this is the, that this is the, the dynamic that he's dealing with. It's like the world is in love with him. Uh, but his mother is still pushing him, and it is tough love to a degree. But I think because we reset the scene in a way with the mother and father later in the episode, uh, it is sort certainly cast as like, okay, maybe Magic has to work really hard to please his mom. She doesn't like the nickname. She doesn't like the attitude. She doesn't like any of that. And she's just – there are subtle moments throughout this episode where that, that kind of comes to the surface a little bit, whether it's favoring Cookie's new boyfriend when he comes to the house and praising him for his big brain. Um, these moments like – that uh to me it's just like they weren't microaggressions uh but they were things that i i think let you peek behind the curtain a little bit of what magic johnson the person was like uh, and if we're going to spend more time in east lansing rather than bring magic to california like you were saying grace in the second episode uh, i bring him there to stay unlike the visit in the first i think we we need to be getting into these moments what his dynamic is like with his mother what his dynamic is like with his father what's his mind for business there's a subtle moment of that in this episode of course so these are all things that I think when, when we're talking about, yes, the show is a love letter to the Los Angeles Lakers, but we, we do want a, a more a multidimensional portrayal of some of our, our leads here. And I think having the Johnson family really does do that for us. You know, it's funny. I said like, boy, I like before the episode. I was like, "Magic is such a, a an asshole in this episode." At the end, and then I'm like sitting here remembering this scene. So like, when he actually shows his mom the tub, and she's like, "Oh, with your money, did you buy my house too?" Like, how come you didn't consult me? And like, whatever. And she tells a story about when they baptized him in a tub. And he didn't cry, didn't say anything. And she said, "Boy, like, I'm gonna have it really easy raising this kid as long as I like raise him right. Um, God loves him, and it'll be fine." And and to say that, like as she's clearly disappointed with him and feeling like she potentially didn't raise him right, that he's, he's uh, choosing not to go to school. Although he does advocate and he does try to say he would like to uh, finish school. Um, you know, like he'll do it eventually. And, uh, boy, that's a really harsh statement. I feel like to be like, yeah, I thought I was just gonna have to raise you right. And you'd be fine. And like, no, I was wrong. That's yeah, really hard to come from a mom. For your oh. mom to be like, I tried so hard, and then you ended up just being a screw up, making five hundred thousand dollars a year. How did I? How did we get so so far down this bad road? Oh. Right. <laughs> so and, sad. And Jason, you pointed out uh, last week there was an official podcast. I listened to this week's episode, and apparently that was the first scene between the actors playing uh, Magic and his mother. Uh, mm. That was the first. That was the first time they'd ever really met. Uh, that was the first scene they ever did together. Uh, so it, I don't know if that has any of that energy, uh, or there's the, or the distance between the two actors. Uh, there isn't a closeness there because it's the first scene they're shooting together. But if there is, I think it only adds to what you're saying, Grace, about how there are those moments. Uh, and this is a big one in this episode where it does feel like his mom's undercutting him. And it and it just maybe speaks to what drives him in a, in a small way. Like, what is he striving for? What agile? Why does he want the adulation? 
they're going to show, and and we know Magic didn't sign off on this show and is necess- not necessarily happy with it, didn't sign off on the book either. Um, they're going to show him for what he was, which is a voracious womanizer. Uh, it is remarked upon in this episode. We see it in this episode. We will see it in a continual basis throughout, I'm sure of it. And so I, I do think on some level they probably want to get at, and if you're talking about the creators and the writers of this show, what made him the way he was? Like, why Why did he do that? And is it a little reductive to say it was his mother, it was his father, it was his parents? Um, maybe. And they're doing that with Jerry West in this episode as well. But I think that they're talking about if, if you want to give a full portrait of Magic Johnson, as I was saying earlier, I do think you need to get into what the family life was like. And in most cases, I think it was pretty good. But I do think it also motivated him to be uh, who he was in all aspects of his life, for better and worse. Yeah, something adds a lot of texture to the character of Magic Johnson. So I'm really I am glad that we ended up staying here for another episode just to see more of what makes him tick. Yeah, agree. He even says to his mom at some at one point, you know, I got a whole city full of love here. Why isn't that enough for you? Just, it just kind of shows or show you like how desperate he is for his mom's love. And and I think you you were Grace were saying, like if he comes off as kind of a, a jerk or or cocky or an asshole or whatever he comes off as without that. I think it really does help, Jason, as you're saying, to to add that dimensionality uh, because you can't have a main character. He, you, you can't have neither he or Jerry Buss uh, be somebody that we don't like or that we're not rooting for. If, if at the best, they can be a complicated portrayal and will and will support them. But this is a fun loving show. It's a loose show. We have to like these guys. And if we're going to like them uh, and you're going to like somebody like Magic, who later in this episode does some really kind of dickish things uh, to Brian, the poor uh, shoe store manager. Um, That's employee of the month, Brian. That's employee of the month, Brian. If we're going to do that to employee of the month, Brian, and we're going to have that Magic Johnson and we're going to have the the Magic Johnson, the real cad kind of walking around anything with a set of legs he's interested in, uh, then I think we do need the Magic Johnson who we see as a a kid who really is just trying to win his mom's love and affection, and no matter what he does, it's not enough. So I right. do think we need that. Not just that it's good to have it. I think we need, we really need it in the show. Yeah, it could feel tropey, but like I mean, it works. I think it works. The scene is great. Yeah. The scene is really powerful. You yeah. know. Yep. So yeah. Uh, so next we cut to the general manager Bill Charming going to go see Jerry West. Uh, Jerry, you know, we get the, the fun scene of uh, the wife bringing him him lunch, and it's like, uh, you know, here's your lunch. He's like, uh, f off, Bill. And then Jerry in the yeah. inside the house, like, yeah, f off, Bill. <laughs> He so, leaves the sandwich at the door. Yeah. Yeah. So Bill ends up breaking and entering through the through the window <laughs> to, yeah. to to go see Jerry and and Bill. You know, is saying, you know, look, I've listened to you for for ten years, bitching and complaining about what you wanted, and now you're finally getting it. And then uh, Wes goes, "Well, it has an onion in it," meaning magic. He says, "Well, if you if you have such a problem with magic, why don't you use him where you want to use him?" You know, Bus said you had to play him. He didn't say where you had to play him. Uh, so then, you know. That kind of perks up, perks West up. He says, "Yeah," that, and then we see the swing up in that in that moment uh, of where 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 Jerry's going to be throughout the episode. Yeah, uh, he's on board with this plan. Seemingly, I I love this of of like uh, this insight into like why are you so mad? You you've been given everything you want, and the idea that like yeah, but if I get everything I want, then I can't blame somebody else. I I, I feel like that's like, uh, I don't know if everybody could relate to it, but I oh, certainly feel like you could relate to it. Extremely like, relatable. Yeah. Of like, uh, you know, if I, if I have all the money in the world then all my, my failures are on, are on me, not on, you know, not having enough, you know, uh, boy, it's, it's, it's really strong. Um, and yeah, then this idea that he comes into motion that he's gonna, he's gonna play magic in a different, uh, position. So, yeah. 
Yeah, as as Jerry says, what's the point? We don't let them like word warm food anyway. He says, "Who cares? Worst case scenario, you get fired. You hate this job anyway. You know, yeah. it's fine. Yeah." No. Uh, so we we run back to to Michigan uh, in our next in our next segment uh, where uh, manager's getting pitched on a tasty <laughs> ice business from from certainly some relatives of his. <laughs> Uh, so then, and the funny thing is, and Magic over here is his mom bragging about her new tub, who that yeah. she just told was just complaining to Magic about, which is a very interesting dichotomy of what where we get from from where she is with Magic, and then in public where, what she says to her friends. I love when he he asks the, the the two guys, is like, "You need a business plan," and like we do have a business plan. People give us money, and they'll eat ice. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. Done. Boom. Raspberry. Two words. <laughs> Blue raspberry. Yeah. It, a funny moment. And like I said, I think a nod, if you will, to the fact that Magic will one day become a business impresario, a part owner of the Lakers, owner of theater chains, restaurants, all these different record labels, like all the things Magic has achieved in his life as a businessman. They were nascent when he was Irvin Johnson Jr. or when he was coming into the LA Lakers. And and a big part of what where Magic grew as a businessman uh, was his relationship with Jerry Buss uh, and Jerry Buss as his mentor. Uh, they were extremely close and Jerry Buss guided him and brought him into the business world uh, that maybe not would not have given those open doors to a, even a Magic Johnson at the times that that they that they did. So not it's not to say that Magic wasn't on, you know, did not have his own acumen. And so I thought it was great that his immediate remark to these guys was it was funny. What about a business plan? And there is a punchline to that joke. But Magic knew to ask for a business plan. And that's a yeah. small character note, but it's a note. And I think it's something that shows even at the age that he was at at this point that Irvin Johnson, uh, Magic Johnson, was was not a dummy. Uh, he knew that he uh, was special, special athlete, and he knew to take it very seriously and have a lot of fun doing it. And he knew it could open a lot of doors for him. And he got through those doors and he made a hell of a life out of it. So uh, I think it's fascinating to look at the young Magic Johnson here for all his faults and all his flaws. But also his early strengths, uh, and it will it will it will be great to see that relationship between he and Bus really blossom. It's probably more season two, season three stuff of the show if we get into that. Uh, but if we do, uh, I think that there's a lot that they can really do uh, in in a good way and in a way that uh, I think is true to life. But maybe is not something that we always see uh, in terms of the, the 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 dual relationship the two of them had. One making the other very successful, and then one saying to the other, like you're going to be successful on your own. Um, let me let me just make sure you get in the right places to do that. There's there's a good relationship, a really good relationship between the two of them that I can't wait to see on this show. Yeah, so, so someone born in 1991, I know Magic Johnson as like the owner of the Dodgers. You know, I know him as a businessman much no, much more than I uh, know him. I, I you know uh, love history, so I you know I can look back and be like, oh yeah, he was amazing. He was very good. But that's not how like I know him. You know, right? Um, so I, I love this little uh, yeah. He asked for the business plan. It's great. I mean, this is the notion in this episode of, of magic coming to this money. And then you can all of a sudden get people hitting you up. It's kind of the, the subject of a show I really liked when it came on. It was a survivor's remorse. It was about a, a young basketball player who, you know, all of a sudden comes to the money and he has to figure out how to balance all that with his family. I think we got a good, good sense of that here, too. Yeah. And you hear about that uh, from from TV shows. You hear about it from athletes, real stories. Um, 
depending on where they're coming from or who they have to support, uh, no matter what the sport is. It could be soccer. It could be baseball. It could be basketball. Um, these athletes make like generational money. Uh, and sometimes they come from places that haven't seen that kind of money. Uh, and they, they, they're very, they're very desirable. One of them, uh, Grace, I know you're a Liverpool supporter. Sadio Mane, our, our beloved Liverpool player, has yeah. built hospitals and schools and everything in the small village that he's from. Uh, and it's just, there are, but there, but there are downsides to that story. Ron Artest will tell you about the dozens of people that he's bailed out of life and where all his money that he made as a pro athlete went uh, to people in his community. So there are people that will tell those versions of the story and that have the Tasty Ice version, you know, that their version of Tasty Ice yeah. cost them $5 million. Uh, and then they got hurt the next season and couldn't make their salary and couldn't pay their mortgage because of all the Tasty Ice money. So yeah. there are stories like that uh, for athletes. Uh, and like I said, I, I really like that magic was sharp on this from the jump. It was just a small note in the episode. But I think if you're going to portray Magic Johnson, you have to be considered the fact that this guy's a legend in the making. So let's see what the legend was like before he was a legend or when it was just at the beginning. And it turns out he was very sharp. Uh, and Or at least the show would have us believe. And I, I like that. I like that for sure. Yep. Uh, so Cookie comes over with her. her Cookie, who we were introduced to in the pilot, as uh as magic's uh girlfriend who he kind of they kind of broke up at the end of the, of the pilot uh so she comes over with her new boyfriend brian uh and cookie tells tells magic she's, she's proud of him and that if she needs anything she's there to support him I, I did find it uh funny in the in the in this meeting where brian comes in and he's you know, like oh yeah you're the manager of the shoe the shoe department good for you and then magic's mom calls brian over it's like we need your smart brain and I, I feel like that's got to stick in magic, magic's, magic's craw even more that his his mom is like seemingly so proud of, of Brian as who who she barely knows. Yeah, uh, yeah, she's I don't know. Yeah, she's just totally rubbing it in. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, this is where I think we see the first inclination that here that magic, uh, the, the womanizer side of magic, is when she says, "If you need anything." He says anything and he sort of moves in and she's like, no, no, no. Like I can be an ear or a friend, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what, that's what I've got for you. The only uh, part of my body you'll get is my ear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we, we cut back to, to LA where we meet it with uh, Claire Rothman. She's going to get her financial books, but all of a sudden they're gone. Uh, she actually calls the police. And as the police are there, Jeannie runs in and says, Oh yeah, my uncle Frank uh, came and took him. And Claire really gets into Jeannie for, for allowing that to happen. This, I feel like so unwarranted to yell at uh, Jeannie. She's like, you fill up the coffee crate. I was like, yeah, I filled the coffee. I don't tell you. Am I supposed to tell you when the books are like being taken? I thought I was supposed to fill up the coffee creamer. You know, uh, it's good. It's good. You're right. You're right to peg the unwarranted moment. Uh, and then I think it makes the way the episode ends between the two characters that much sweeter. Uh, because, again, we're talking about people that we know exist and people mm -hmm. that we know that their accomplishments. So when you see a Jeannie bus coming in as whatever she is, 19 or 20 years old, you're going to say like, oh, okay, I know that that's Jeannie Buss, who later becomes the Jeannie Buss, who later does all of these incredible things that she's achieved in her life. So seeing her at 19 and seeing that, okay, she's a little bit picked on or she's a little bit this, but she has ideas like the show is making very clear, like, yeah, this is a show about young Jeannie Buss, but she's still Jeannie Buss. Like she's still somebody that's going to be a significant person. And I think to pair her off with Claire Rothman, I don't know um, 
even from the book, I don't remember a ton about the interplay of those two characters. But I think that that's a really sharp thing because these these are two very clearly strong, powerful, successful women who had an influence on all of this. Uh, so to put them together in the way that they do and to show, I really like the Claire Rothman character. That might be my favorite character on the show um, that I'm that I that I didn't really have any interest in knowing was going to be part of the show or have any inclination that it would be my favorite. Uh, she's really jumped off the the screen in terms of what her role is in the story and, and tying her to Jeannie Buss here to me uh, is a really a smart move because for all the reasons I said, just because it's going to be something that we can, we can get a lot from. There's a lot from this relationship. I think we can show, and I I'm interested in this perspective. I don't know how based in fact it is, but I'm very interested in it for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Like that early on, yeah. we're making we're making all the buses part of the part of the program, part of part of the business, and we're seeing kind of the as far as we see Jerry is Jerry is pretty established. Jerry is up, you know, he's he's on the rise. But Jeannie is really we're seeing her at ground level, and we're seeing yeah. her grow into what she can become, and what she will become. So that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's certainly the storyline that I think I'm like I feel like we're getting like little bites, but not the full thing. And I'm so, I'm so excited when we can like uh, be there for a bit more. So. I, I really just like the I- idea of women of two separate generations um, and right. a woman of Claire's generation passing uh, what she's experienced and learned and known on to women of the younger generations, whether it's reading Cosmopolitan uh, and commenting on a certain tip that's in the Cosmo article or whether it's uh, or whether it's looking to Jeannie and saying, like, I don't I didn't want to be uh, the scold. Like, I didn't want to be the one who said no. Uh, and here I am now. Like, uh, I, I. I want to, I want to do this or I, I want it. She is being treated by Jerry bus as somebody who's a legend and as somebody who has ideas. And so I love that. She immediately looks at Jeannie and says, uh, she's a nobody. She's a kid. But then she says, what if somebody treated me like that? I remember what it was like to be berated. I remember what it was like to be treated secondhand. I'm not going to make those same decisions in little small ways it, that that's why it, it talks about like why representation matters in the real world like why it matters that there is a claire rothman there to help the genie buses of the world who do have good ideas and might have otherwise been ignored to have somebody in that role who experienced uh, that same kind of thing and is willing to do it differently that's how we change the world so i like seeing that in 1979 uh, that aspect of somebody like i said who we know becomes a legend uh, to see her linked to somebody who's this person who's talking about stories from 1940. Anytime somebody in the show from like the 70s is like, oh, in 1940, yeah. I did this. I'm like, well, shit, I guess that was only 30 years ago to them. Yeah. Then it seems like yeah. Yeah. 100 years ago now. And I'm like, God, that's like me saying what I did in 1990. It's, it's just really upsetting. It's very upsetting. <laughs> very upsetting to me. Yeah. Time is a cruel mistress. It's just <laughs> the, the cruelest, the cruelest. Uh, so, so after Claire finds out that Frank uh, took her all of her files, she goes to go confront Jerry Buss, and uh, when she comes in, uh, Buss is making a deal for a player by offering real estate to a, to another owner, which is seemingly kind of Jerry's uh, mo here. Yeah, <laughs> offload his real estate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you get a building, I get a rebounder. <laughs> He doesn't have much other liquid, right? Like these are his assets. This is what he's got. His cash is tight. And whether it's Sally Field, is his mom telling him that? Or whether it's everyone else, like worrying about his real estate connect. This is what he knows and this is what he has. So whatever it's going to take, that's what he's going to do. And I love that. It's just a small scene. It's just a one-off line. But when you think about it, it's like, that's what the guy has to offer. These are his trading chips, our buildings. It's not cash. Also, I was so excited to see Sally Field in the show. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, So... 
uh, Jerry kind of pawns off this uh, this guy Arn, the other owner, onto onto uh, Maria, and she he goes, uh, she closes more deals than lawyers, uh, which you know Claire's like, I believe it. Uh, so he says, you know, uh, Claire talks tells him about the whole incident with Frank. He says, well, you know, I I told Frank to consult with you, but I guess he didn't. Uh, and you know, Claire says, well, I thought that was my responsibility to, was to balance the books. He says those were your responsibilities, but I have a bigger role for you in mind. Uh, he talks about how he wants to form you booked for more nights, seemingly to bring in more revenue. He says, well, you know, right now we got uh, it booked for about 217 nights a year. What if we could get to 260? What if we could get it to 365 for every day of the year? Uh, and Claire explains to him that, you know, all the big arenas go dark sometimes, but, you know, but Frank says, well, this is the city of sunshine. Uh, such, so, a good, such a cheesy car salesman line like, hey, they're not in the city of sunshine. Well, you that's know? our guy. Yeah. Okay, so he gets in, he, he starts asking her, like, hey, what really turns you on? Uh, she, and what, what's really going to make you excited? She says, well, to, to get what you want, we really need money. I really need to see a budget. Uh, we, you know, and Jerry says, we really got to turn the form into a hot commodity. No idea is too big. Uh, you turn it into Shangri-La. Yeah, Shangri-La. Yeah, she says, like, you need advertising, marketing, like all these, like, stuff. And he's like, okay, no, no idea is too big. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's really, he really writes, he's the definition of writing checks your ass can't cash. That's true. Yeah. But, he, but he ends up finding a way to cash the most times, I think. Yeah. Um, so so then we get introduced to uh, to Jerry Buss's mom, who is Sally Field, who was really good in this. So I think we could all also really enjoyed her uh, as you know, she's kind of taking over the books for the forum because Jerry says, you know, uh, I can't have anybody else knowing how how close to the close to the, the mind we are to, to not be able to do a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, if she knows how much we're stretching thin, it won't be good. Uh, it says referring to Claire. Um, and uh, she's giving the same spiel that I think, you know, it, interestingly, like the relationship with mothers in this episode um, is uh, a lot of the same stuff that he's going to be told by uh, Red. You know, uh, you're just going to, you know, you'll see this as something you're excited about now. And once it's like not fun anymore, you will move on. Um, and he's saying, no, like we're going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be a tycoon family. We're going to be one of the families who own, like runs America, basically. Um, it's a little scary. Uh, <laughs> just buy the Lakers and then run America. Um, but uh, yeah, I love this line when he says, uh, he says, I'm going to go. Uh, he says, I'll see you whenever I don't remember what it's like to see you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, there, that was a very funny line. What there was also a very funny line about when she said, uh, "I need a, I need a whatever, I need a, a bourbon or I need a drink," and he said, "When since 1961 or something?" Like yeah. I forget exactly what the joke was, but it's like this is his relationship with his mother. He's ripping on her drinking. He's saying, "I'll see you at some point." Um, his brothers are also uh, people that might play a role in the story. Well, he references, I think he says, when the boys get back in town. Mm. Uh, so we, we could have just the bus family is going to be a thing, clearly, with Jeannie and with the mother, uh, with was it Jesse uh, and with Jerry. And I think his brothers will probably play a role, too. So uh, true characters, one and all. Uh, it will be very fun to see them bring all the buses into the show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, let's take a quick commercial break. We come back. We will chat through the rest of the episode. Okay, uh, so next up, we're gonna we're gonna get uh, Jerry West uh, is putting in a, is uh, is really we're trying to implement his his uh, his goal to a magic in the post, and he meets with Norm Nixon, and he's trying to convince Norm that you know, uh, you know, you're our guy, Norm. You're going to be our point guard. Norm is not buying it at all. 
Well, this in, this is a, a really interestingly shot scene where we have Jerry West like hyping up Norm while flashing back to to Jerry West coaching him, basically like saying the opposite, but in like a demeaning way. Whatever he's telling Norm, like you know, I've always thought you were great. And he's like, who are you? Like you know, on the court, you know, it's just like uh, all these things that he said before to him in the past. He's now saying the exact opposite to try and hype him up. Um, and then I, I love Norm pushing back on like, well are you even really in charge? Like we drafted magic, you know, like whatever. And uh, it's like, yeah, the uh, bus says it's all on me. It's like, oh, just what we need. Y- you in charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was glad to see Norm Nixon in this episode after seeing him in the first episode with magic for that reason, Grace, because yeah. the relationship between Norm Nixon and his teammates will be very interesting. The relationship between Norm Nixon and Jerry West or Jerry West and any of these guys is a lot of comedic fodder. Uh, like you said, the way that the, the scene is intercut uh, an upcoming scene with Kareem, like all the Jerry West scenes with the athletes on the team uh, are very funny to me. And I'm Norm Nixon should be a very good character. Uh, there's a lot to play with there. And I will be, uh, I will be looking forward to seeing uh, the more, the more Norm Nixon, the better, I think early on in this run, he will be antagonistic. He'll be uh, all the things that I, I think that the Norm Nixon, uh, biographies would state uh and i think a really good character to 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 make to have in this role if we're gonna have jerry west doing his tour about with the players about what to do with magic i'm glad we went to norm nixon first yeah he really flashed well with me in the first episode so i'm I'm glad to hear that we're probably gonna get some more of him going down the line and he's not just gonna disappear on us yep and and also this is the first that like norm is a position where like they have drafted magic right um i think he kind of thought that like he you know his plan last uh in the last episode is to uh convince magic to go back to school to go go to college get drafted next year you know uh you'll be ready next next time um and um that doesn't happen magic gets drafted and so this is the first time we're seeing norm um with this I, i guess like looming threat of like magic johnson's coming in to take your position um and and now jerry west being like well that's not going to happen um but it's like well i also thought maybe you wouldn't draft uh magic you know right. so yeah right uh yeah so next we cut to uh to clear holding a meeting for ideas to go to the forum uh you know they get some ideas about a church a uh kind of a furniture uh well, showcase geez, what happens if the if the lakers have to play on sunday oh well the lakers just gotta play somewhere else <laughs> Maybe down at the park. <laughs> I think this uh, did happen once. I think uh, uh, I I remember from a wrestling perspective that I believe I can't remember if it's the Lakers or the Nuggets, but the two teams were playing each other, and WWE had booked the venue, but the one of the teams were going to play at, and then had to be moved last minute because uh, the there was a game between the two, and so they moved to the other one. So if like they were supposed to play in Denver, they the or the WWE was supposed to play and uh, host in Denver, they had to move to LA. So I know that the stadiums can get double booked uh, sometimes, um, but uh, ideally, yeah, church group at the forum on a Sunday, not ideal. Can't put basketball over Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's so- what the NBA does on Christmas. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. Uh, so Jeannie comes in and pitches that she knows that the acoustics in the in the st- in the uh, form aren't good, and that's why I haven't booked a lot of mu- musical acts there. But then she, she kind of pitches what what uh what Jerry kind of pitches all the time. Well, we'll just make it really cool, and nobody will care about the about the sound on the in the uh, in the form. Yeah. Uh, so she gets kind of scolded uh, by Claire about that, and she you know kind of Claire tells her to go uh, fill the creamer and she leaves her book there and and one of the other assistants kind of flips through it and Claire kind of looks at it like oh what is that thing 
Yeah, a little notebook with all the doodles on it. It's very it cute. It seems like Jeannie and Jerry are keenly aware that the Lakers are in Los Angeles. And it yeah. seems like the rest of the Lakers franchise thinks they're still in Minneapolis because the the, the L.A. hook, uh, and even though it's 1979, and we would, if you would look back in history, say, oh, yeah, the Lakers, Showtime, like they made L.A. L.A. was the place to be before that, and they knew it, and the, the franchise needed to match it. And that, more than anything, seems to me to be the early story of winning time. The show is like taking that L.A. swag, taking whatever, it is, like if you want to link it directly to Hugh Hefner, like they do in this episode uh, or in the first episode, or if, or not, just taking that the, the cinema movie stars L.A. swag and, and linking that to a product that wasn't uh, that was losing to bowling in the ratings, right? As a joke, David mm -hmm. Stern brings up that you know that's brought up in that scene. It, it, it that's the story they're telling with with Jerry Bus more than anything. It's like this is this guy who had that LA swag. He was a true California character uh, at that time, and he brought that to the Lakers, and he and he found people who match that to coach. Uh, whether it's Pat Riley or to play, whether it's Magic Johnson, like he brought that same energy and and made the L.A. Lakers the L.A. Lakers. So it's really funny to see them not being that way and hear that being presented as like this revolutionary idea that people would want to play the forum just because it was the forum, just because it was L.A. Yeah. Obviously, that's the case. But to hear it not be seen as an accepted fact is is funny. It's, funny. it's like it's when, a, when somebody tells you to watch an old movie and they're like, it's revolutionary. You won't believe it. It's so great. And you go back and watch like, it's really boring. It's because I've seen like that version of that movie plus all the like spinoffs of that movie for like 50 years because like right. I'm watching some movie from whatever. And then they're like, how about we try to hire musicians for, the, for our con, Citizen, for our stadium? And you're like, Citizen what? Kane, how unoriginal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, not that great, actually. You know, I think I've seen much better movies since Citizen Kane. It's because it came, it was Citizen Kane at the time, revolutionary. Uh, it's like, yeah, music at the forum. Who would have thunk? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think yeah. this formula of, uh, hey, it's LA, we can make it star studded is even seen today with like when you look at football, every LA Rams game, there's always a thousand, you know, celebrities in the stands or they they pan to at, you know at every quarter so i think I it's, it's they, they've hired there are some casting uh stuff out there if you look at it, like there are some celebrities coming to to yeah, winning sure. time the show so uh i'm sure that will be that will be part of it uh, it becomes well. a fundamental part of the lakers story that's what we right. all know about the lakers there's who's sitting at the courtside seats and where's jack nicholson and yep. on and on and on like that is part of the la lakers story so, it, like I said, it's just really funny to hear it not even be contemplated yeah. in Los Angeles in 1979 by the people that were running the team. It's like, why wouldn't that be what you were selling? Like, this is an extremely attractive, fast-paced, entertaining game. It's so much more exciting than baseball. It, it, it scratches a much different itch in that regard. You don't have to sit outside in the freezing temperatures like football. It's not a brutal game. There's an elegance to it like there's a lot to love about basketball and we're basketball in Los Angeles. So there's a real lot to love. And the fact that that wasn't happening and the Lakers were laughed at it, it I, with, with the modern eye, it's like, yeah, right. Why is this guy laughing at the Lakers and calling them perennial losers when they're like the Yankees of basketball now, but that's what the story's about. That's what the show is about. So I, I love that. I love that. And it's not like the Lakers were bad. And so I think that like, you know, they, they lost to the Celtics a lot, but they've won champ. They've won championships, right. you know? And so I think it's interesting when you look at it from that lens too, is like, it's, it's to be a successful franchise is more than just about winning. Winning is very, very important. And the show is called winning time. Um, but there is something to, to, to the brand association attached to being a winning, a winning team. Right. Right. So, yeah. 
Uh, so let me cut to Jerry West going to meet with Kareem. Now, I know last episode I said I really want to see more of Kareem. We saw a tad bit here, but I want more. <laughs> that was uh, the feedback from from Josh Lamer as well. That's like still not much from Kareem. Seems like they're putting in the work to slowly build him up. Um, yep. But uh, would expect that within the next few episodes, hopefully we focus on him a little bit. Yeah, it's coming. More. It's coming. There's too yeah. much. That's such an incredible. He is had an incredible life uh, and experienced so many different uh, things at different stages of his incredible life, whether it's when he was Lou Alcindor uh, and changed his name and all the backlash and hate that he received from that and continued to receive from it. That I know, Grace, when you watched last episode and you were laughing at the idea of Kareem uh, telling that kid to F off. Yeah. Uh, and when he asked for an autograph, but in, in the book, in Showtime, in the book, there's a lot about all the all of the fan experiences that Kareem had, both positive and negative. Right. There were there was a time when his house burned down and he lost his huge collection of jazz records. And then when he went and nowhere, no, no matter where he went throughout the country for the next year, they would show up to their team hotel and fans from that city would have left stacks of records for him there. Oh, wow. Said, Kareem, we know you lost all your stuff. This is something that was very important to me. Have these records. And so he he reamassed a collection from records that fans had given him. Uh, so there, there's a lot of push-pull with Kareem. And he's had so many different phases of his life uh, when you look at where he's at now and some of the things he's done in the last 10 or 15 years. And you contrast to the, the Kareem of the 70s and 80s, there's going to be a lot they can really get into, and I'm I'm very excited to see the Kareem story. And I actually really like that they're slow playing it because Kareem is sort of this silent giant, uh, this guy that you don't want to mess with. He's the biggest guy that you're going to play against, the most skilled big guy you're going to play against. And yet, like those still waters run very, very, very deep. Uh, and so it, I think it would be a disservice to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, to have something just quickly, quick, you know, quick and dirty. Here's Kareem. Uh, I think it's much better to sort of have him be this figure that's looming and that's ominous and that's you. You know, you're going to get uh, the Kareem story. It just hasn't happened yet. I really like what they're doing with the pacing of that story, actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, West is telling Kareem, you know, I know you're getting beat up out there. You're getting beat up by everybody on the court and you're getting beat up by people in the media. It's like, that's what we're going to have magic for. We're going to put him out there to protect you. We're going to put him in a post. He's going to take all those slings and arrows for you. And Kareem basically, blow, you know, blows him off while he's reading his book. He's like, yeah, well, let me know when when uh, training camp starts. And uh, West asks, so, what are you reading? And he shows him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll put it on my list. Let's just say it's a, it's a, a title book I can't say on this podcast, but if you know, you know. <laughs> Uh, a book I can't say on any podcast. So yes, yeah. me too. Yeah. yeah, very fun scene. I totally agree with you, Antonio. The slow build, the like bubbling, uh, you know, uh, nature of of cream that will come eventually is is very fun. I love it. I love it. Uh, we are transported back to Michigan as uh, Magic is talking to Cookie at the shoe store, and uh, Magic is complaining to her about you know how he feels you know kind of put down by his mom, and you know Cookie's telling him, well you know. You feel that, but you know, everywhere I go, I hear, I see your mom bragging about you, everybody else. Uh, and you know, Cookie kind of uh, compares Magic to his mom, says, You know, you're, you're both you guys' love comes with string attached. Magic keeps saying that, you know, he loves her, but you know, she says not as much as you love yourself. <laughs> so he kind of is kind of hounding her in the back room. He's talking about, you know, Brian and how he's not good for her. And then, uh, you know, Cookie's not having it, she's not, she's, she's not having it. Uh, and then we cut fast cut to uh, to magic uh, having sex in a car with someone else before. Uh, I think perhaps after church, but before a gathering. Per, yeah. I think it looks is like what probably it we're done with church, be... but we're going to go to fellowship. You yes. know, at a little after church gathering. <laughs> I think that's what uh, that was. 
So I think one of the things that's interesting, we were talking, you know, again, of that, like, how much do we spoil about real life? Uh, very interesting that they're doing this, like, will they, won't they thing with uh, Cookie and Magic. Because, uh, I mean, skip ahead if you don't want to know the eventual outcome of, of Magic and Cookie. Um, they they get together. <laughs> they will be uh, together. They will be a thing. Uh, and so, I don't know. It feels like it's to show their relationship, I guess, that he, you know... Um, always comes back to her. But I just thought this is very interesting that they, there's so much time um, here. Really, this scene is actually kind of more about, it's almost just about as much Magic's relationship with his mother as it is uh, Cookie. I mean, perhaps that like Cookie sees Magic uh, for who he is, even though everybody loves him. She's the one who can kind of see through him. So yeah, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on these, the Cookie Magic scenes? Well, that seems to really kind of attract Magic to Cookie, I think, with you know just how much he doesn't buy into his into into his act you might want to say and so that really kind of makes her more desirable i believe yeah he can have any woman he wants so the one that he can't have is the one he wants the most right like that true there is some element of that but there is also an element of when magic and cookie will eventually get together it's much later down the line um and her being somebody who knows him from when like who knows him Right. from when he came from Lansing and what he was like before he was magic uh, or before the world knew Magic Johnson, before he belonged to the world, uh, he belonged to Lansing. And, and so that, I think seeing these scenes, remember, I, I'm remembering that we did f the first scene of the show, right, is in 1991 when Magic is diagnosed, right? Yes. And flash forward mm -hmm. to uh, the present. So I don't know how much time the show will spend in the later era, if we're going to mostly spend it in 79 and before now, or why they chose to do that right at the beginning of the pilot. And if we're going to go back to that timeline at all, but obviously if we do the magic and cookie of that timeline, I think will be the most significant story. Uh, if we're talking about magic Johnson in 1991 and the role cookies playing in his life, then uh, will be so paramount and so important that I love that they're seeding it here um, in the way that they are, but it, it is it's it's uh like i said earlier you, you're talking about a magic johnson who you're smash cutting to him smashing uh, <laughs> uh -huh. and then uh -huh. you know that's not the only time we're going to do it in this episode either with magic and it certainly True. is not going to be the only time we're going to do it in any of these episodes uh so to watch him talk to cookie and to see their relationship versus the way that he treats the other women that we see him with um it's it's worth tracking, especially with regard to what his relationship is like with his family and other people that are close to him, uh, seeing what the real magic is like, the, the magic behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, Cookie really helps us do that. You know, it's funny is that whole thing about like uh, what, that me complaining about the pacing of the show. I'm like, you know, it's only been two episodes. So I feel like the pacing is, is off. And it's, yeah, it's because they start the show off with a scene from 1991. Like I kind of forgot it happened. And yet yeah. also it happened. And so like, I feel like that has to be either the end point of the show or, or close, right? Like you like start the last episode in 90, you know, whatever. Um, that's why, that's why my, my perception of the time is off. Cause they, they did the flash forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I was saying last week, I could see, uh, I could see them doing something similar to uh, something Antonio knows a lot about uh, better call Saul as we kind of get these, uh, these vignettes in the future time, but it's not, you know, they don't dedicate a whole episode to it, but we get these vignettes about what life is like in the future. I, I think that's something I would like to see, uh, you know, as we see like his press conference announcing it, you know, announcing he's retiring and all that stuff. I can see them doing something like that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, Magic gives a, a hefty donation to fix the stained glass windows, I think, here. Um, so it's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah he goes, uh, it can't fit in the box, so he just kind of shoves it into Brian's, oh, Brian's uh, coat yeah. pocket, which, uh, you know, nice move, Magic, nice move. <sighs> Poor Brian. I, Justice for Brian. Yeah. He just wants to get you in a pair of Birkenstocks. Why you got to put Brian <laughs> that way? Um, so we cut to to uh, to back to L.A., where Red has agreed to go to dinner with, with Jerry. Uh, Jerry introduces Red to a group of women, and Red's like, yeah, okay, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to give me a thing with my, my little head, now my big head. <laughs> Which, you know, is it, something that we've seen even in this episode that Bus does try to use to his disposal, but Red's not taking the bait at all. Uh, so Busk explains to, to Red that he wants to go to Dynasty like Boston. You know, he thinks he'd be good for the league. Red says, yeah, but that's, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get it that way. Championships are not won. They're taken. Uh, so, you know, and it, Red explains to him like winning, you know, makes me a miserable bastard, but I'm okay with it. You know, and he tells, he tells Busk, you know, you might win one, but then you'll move on to some other shiny toy. Uh, so, so Red basically is trying to shake Bus down now. Says, "Why don't you just trade a few of your pieces to me, and that'll help you out with your finances. And then you can, you know, say you got to the playoffs for winning fifty games. And then you can move on to your next thing." It, I think, this is a really strong scene again to like show us where Bus is, you know, who he's going to be. That can he be this guy who is like so happy uh, trying to build this thing when so many other people um, have tried and failed. Like Red is saying, like, I don't do this to make me happy. Like it is a miserable thing, you know, and you know, you look at Jerry West, maybe a good example of this, like trying to win and not winning. Um, it, it's, it, it will make you mad. And even if you do win, it's so hard and daunting and like not fun that you just like, this is not what you think it will be. Uh, I think it's a really strong, uh, scene here uh, with Red basically being like, you know, uh, the luck of the Irish, you know, like that's not the leprechaun. Like, that's me. I'm the one who like puts in the work to do this and it doesn't make me happy. You know, and yeah. I think that ties in really well to the title of the episode and the song that is used to set off mm -hmm. the title. Is that all there is? Which is a very weird, like Malden kind of uh, uh, just it's just a weird song if you if you know the song or if you've heard the song the the verses are spoken they're about like the circus and a fire and somebody that died and it's very much like is that all there is is that all there is to life is that all there is to a fire is that all there is to love like it's it's a very weird uh song the mood of the song is weird and it very much is about getting all that you ever wanted or having a good experience and then being disappointed by it or being frustrated that there wasn't more to it or having something built up forever and ever and ever in your mind and then experiencing it and then saying, is that all there is to it? Like that's all there is. Well, if that's all life's going to be, then we may as well just drink and have fun because there isn't anything more to life. Um, that is the, the nature of the song. That's the title of the episode. And I think you're right, uh, Grace, that this is a really good example of a scene in the episode that sets that, that connects to that along with the Jerry West theme overall, uh, Red Auerbach saying it as much to Jerry Buss here, is basically saying like, yeah, you're a fun loving guy and you, this is what you are, but I'm telling you it's hard work and not a lot of reward and you're only going to be disappointed. Um, I, it is a sports fan, right? That, that can resonate with what kind of a team are you a fan of? Are you, are you a fan of a team like the Yankees who is expected to be in the world series every year? And if they're not, you're disappointed. And when they win, you say, is that all there is? Like that's, we're not going to, we can't do anything more. We've conquered all of this. And or are you a team of someone that builds or of a franchise that builds up uh, and, and being a fan of that, maybe there's more reward in it. 
so it has a lot to do with sports fandom, has a lot to do with life. And this scene, I thought, did a really good job, as you're saying, Grace, of capturing that and connecting to the title of the episode. Yeah, I mean, that'd be number one on the Pop-Tarts now. Is that all there is? <laughs> Talking about how miserable life is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to a scene of even of uh, Irvin Sr. and uh, Mrs. Johnson talking about the, the new tub that Magic got them. Uh, and, you know, they get into the fact that, you know, you know, he has his way, you have your way. Uh, and, you know, as, as any good husband would do, he goes, it, it's your way. It's a lovely way. It's a great way. Yeah. I love your way. Your yeah. way is the best way. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you got to preference it. Uh, so uh, Irvin Sr. talks about how, how they were before they found the Lord. He says, you know, you were a free spirit just like Irvin is, you know, before you found the Lord. Uh, and, you know, it kind of reminds him of where, where magic is now. And, uh, you know, she claims she's had with her life. But then Irvin Sr. says, well, that's his life and you have yours. We can't live it for him. And he kind of also kind of throws in there that she may be a little jealous of the life that that uh, that Magic's living now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the scene is really great. Uh, I, I like that it's, you know, uh, two characters who like are not the the main central characters of, of the story. Uh, obviously, it's it's a lot about Magic Johnson. Um, but I think this this is uh this is really good. I think like uh, very you know the relatable like uh thing of like the mom wanting what's best for her child and wanting to you know she does it. He's like uh you can't tell him you can't tell him how to live his life and she's like why why not like <laughs> why can't I do that uh which I think is like more rhetorical than an actual like can I not do that like you know you can't do that um I think the scene is really strong I will notice that the tub has been installed uh so, yeah. oh yeah uh, yeah uh I think it's great I, I hate that you bought this tub but go ahead and hook it up anyway yeah. yeah let me tell my friends how much I love it and yeah maybe just hook it up in the corner over here I'm sure yeah. sure a guest will use it at some point <laughs> yeah I'll use it, you know, apprehensively, but I'll use it. <laughs> with this scene in in coordination with the scene later with uh, uh, Irvin Senior and Irvin Junior, I think, are, are particularly strong, uh, especially when you put them together. Yeah. Uh, so we get this. We get the end of this scene intercut with the scene of uh, yeah. of magic. Uh, once again, hook it with I think her name was Cindy um, in the car. Uh, she says uh, she talks about how you know you know, in an interlude to their lovemaking. Uh, she tells him that she got into UCLA medical school and they can hang out. Magic's like, oh, you know, you know, I, I'm playing a lot of basketball, but, uh, you know, when, when, I, when I got a break, I will we'll, we'll hook up, we'll get there. Uh, obviously blowing her off. Um, so, you know, Cindy kind of says, you know, well, whatever, you know, I, I, I got to beat off boys the stick usually. It just seems like you're really hung up on Cookie. And he says, nah, not Cookie. I'm not hung up on Cookie. Thou doth protest he, too much. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'm doing big things. not worried about Cookie. Yeah, she's okay, the one who should be thinking about me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut to Magic showing up at a neighborhood pickup game, caring he about goes, Cookie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gives Cookie all of his stuff to hold on to. Tries to yeah. give her a kiss. Uh, I give her a kiss. Know. She's like, mm, boy, no. don't even try it. Yeah. And of course, who else is there but Brian? Uh, which is pretty much the only sole reason that Magic probably showed up there in the first place. So this is an interesting scene for me because it's really intercut with the scene from last episode where Norm shows up, you know, shows up magic. Magic's got to do the same thing to Brian, you know, probably in even more ruthless fashion. Yeah, I think that's a really smart observation uh, that those two scenes are connected. This is magic learning how to be a pro athlete. This is magic learning how to be somebody that can use his talents uh, for negative energy or to show somebody up or to put them in their place. And maybe that's not something that he knew before or that he saw before. Maybe this is something that he sponged from Norm Nixon uh, because this is a magic who's going to pick up a lot about the NBA very quickly. 
uh, and be, uh, I mean, not to spoil anything in the show, I won't spoil actual results, but like Magic Johnson does not really struggle in the NBA. He comes in a superstar uh, pretty much from the jump. And this is in part because he's able to soak up life lessons from people like Norm Nixon. Uh, and I think you're really, that's a really sharp observation that they're connected. I was too focused on the three second frame of the dogs humping yeah, uh, after as, he oh, had, as he's after, dominating Brian, after he had dominated. Oh, Brian. That's what I watched I episode it. twice and I missed that. Wow. <laughs> it's yeah. like that fight club, like three frames, but it's there right. and it's, it's very pointed and very upsetting. And it's right there in the scene. He, th- he's such a jerk here. I, I you really yeah. like, you know, you talk about like this is a show that does not want to make you dislike the uh the main character and luckily i think very smart to like i said those two scenes between um yep. that are like irvin uh senior and christine like miss johnson and then to take the scene later where irvin is talking with uh with magic i think really smart to put this scene in between again because uh it's like yeah illuminating why he might feel this way why he has such a, a you know um a complex to prove himself you know, I talked about like wanting to skip forward a little bit. Like I kind of expected him to be in LA. I think pretty smart here actually in many ways to have him basically at the end of last episode, really doubting whether he could even be in the NBA. Um, and to, to almost say like, no, I'll go, I'll go to college. I'll get drafted next year. Um, and then to come back to Lansing and this is where he is the big fish, right? Like This is where he, um, he's better than everybody here. Right. And he can, prove himself here to gain some confidence before he goes back uh to LA. So um yeah, I think I I really hated him in this scene. Uh I thought he was such yeah, a jerk. Just, so, just a lot yeah. of crap on Brian said, what, what happens when you can't pay the bills? We can't give her that gift that that you know that our <sighs> girl really wants. He knocks it to the ground says, Yeah, you're kind of looking like our girl right now. Even that yeah. face. Like, oh my god. And he's a little more specific and explicit in his uh comments as well. Like yeah, this is a yeah. full sure. spectrum performance by Irvin Magic Johnson. And and it's a full spectrum character uh grace i think that's a yeah. really good observation about how my thinking is the writers probably fought for that scene between the johnsons uh when you're like two characters that aren't really key characters in the show who knows how much they're going to be in the story once Irvin gets to los angeles like maybe they'll they'll be in it sometimes but like maybe they're not going to be major characters so to have that scene between the parents there um it's not a scene you would normally expect to see in a show like this that's full of characters that we're going to pay more service to but it's super important when you're talking about the whole portrait of Magic Johnson. And it's fair to say if you're going to show him being so good and so likable and so charismatic and so smart and all the things Magic Johnson is, you also have to show the other sides of Magic Johnson. And if you're going to do that, you got to do really well with the depth. Otherwise people are going to hate him. Yeah. Yeah. So then we, after the, uh, the, the neighborhood pickup game where, and then afterwards, you know, Cookie's trying to console Brian and Brian's not having any of it. He's obviously very embarrassed. Uh, so then Magic pulls up on Cookie, you know, in his new car. He tries to, you know, to talk to Cookie and Cookie calls him an asshole. She says, you know, and I was like, what? I didn't do anything for what? Uh, so, you know, he he tells, he, he kind of brings it back on her and says, well, you're just trying to make me jealous with this guy, you know, that, you know, that is different from me. And, you know, he says, I'll be me forever. Wherever I go, you go. And then he pretty much gives her an ultimatum until you ditch Brian, you'll be watching me on TV like everybody else. Yeah. And that's like, Oh, he's like, uh, yeah, he's like not bad in this scene. She sort of like, um, when, when he says this line, like wherever I go, you go. I think he also says like, like we, we, us is the phrase he said, like, like we are a thing we're together. We're a unit. Like this is what we should do. And she like, falls into him right and you're like oh mm-hmm. okay, you know it's just love whatever and then he's like uh yeah and uh you know until you ditch brian you can just watch me on tv i was like what a jerk okay like you almost you almost yeah oh <laughs> you you're almost so close me. yeah yeah 
uh, so yeah, so that was an interesting scene for sure. Uh, just showing the more of the more of the dickishness of, of magic. Uh, then we we flash back to L.A. Uh, you know, we get uh, Jerry West in his office saying, this is the year, as he's uh, gluing his MVP trophy back together. <laughs> <I love that>. <laughs> <laughs> so you so threw through the window last episode. Yeah. Uh, so we we also cut to him out of his house. He's about files for his wife saying, you know how important this is to me. This is ha- Winning a championship is the happiest I've ever been. He brings the flowers and she's like, that's a funeral arrangement. He's like, yeah, I thought they looked calm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, he talks about the roller coaster. She says, Well, I can't ride the roller coaster with you, it'll drive me crazy. I can't do this with you all the time. Yeah, he's like trying to say, like, This is just what basketball is like. And she's like, Well, that's too bad. I don't want to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah it's very interesting. You know, it, it's it's him kind of still up, but he's midway down. I think he's he's on the way down. Yeah, I think this is like him realizing that, like, perhaps the high. It's not worth it, like it's not worth the lows and and everything else along the way, right? Um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the the taking the advice almost of Brett Arbach, uh, like I, I actually don't think it's that worth it, or at least like my mentality um, is not going to work. And I think he needs his wife to sort of uh, enlighten him. Um, I think in, it draws in, a, in that a, sense. It draws a really good bow to on the Jerry West arc of the episode, which starts with him as a kid and winning a championship later uh, and then ends with him resigning as coach. Like, how do we get there? He's made this tour to his players. He has this idea. He's gotten up off the floor of his depression where uh, his uh, boss said it smelled like a gym sock farted in there. uh, And he's leapt up off of that and he's off the mat and he's back and he's talking to Norm Nixon and he's talking to Kareem and he's got some energy and he's got a boss who's going to give him the world and give him a blank check to get what he wants. Uh, and it is the person who knows him best, perhaps his wife, who says, like, I, I, I can't like you're not going to be happy with this. The ups and downs, the roller coaster. Um, I just by the end of the episode, it does make sense to me that he will have resigned as coach, which is a lot of work to do with one episode to really get into the, the guts of a character and then take them away from the role that you expected them to be in by the end of the episode and the second episode of the series. Uh, but we do it through scenes like this for sure. And I, I wonder, like, in the rest of the book, is is Jerry West like a problem? For, because we, I mean, um, I don't know how much he gets. He stays involved with the Lakers immediately. Uh, again, spoiler alert, he does become an executive for the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, but is he involved much in the story? Because I, I feel like it would be a big loss to lose this character that we, they've built up for two episodes, right? Uh, it's very clearly somebody who's important. Um, and so... Uh, does the book does the is he involved in the book uh, yeah i think no? I, I do think he'll be i do think he will be in the story uh because he'll, he I don't, I don't know exactly what they will um time-wise where they will go um but he stays on r- relatively quickly he's involved with scouting and helping them with player acquisition uh which is supposedly like his best skill is as a scout and as a talent acquisition guy uh so he's going to slide into that pretty quick i imagine he's well, going to pretty a- a scout immediately yeah i think he's going to be involved pretty quickly in the show uh would be my guess um that that would be my guess is that they but i don't know i don't know exactly to what degree the show is going to show all that or how they're going to make it seem like he was at the the heart of some of the moves that they're going to make because they will be making moves spoiler alert i guess on that front they're going to be wheeling and dealing and acquiring players jerry boss is not going to sit idly by uh because it's cold there in wyoming uh where he's from and has its own kind of cold so he's used to moving around, uh, and so I, he's not going to sit idly by and freeze to death out here in L.A. 
Yeah, he's gonna keep making moves. Uh, so we we after this scene, we cut to Magic uh, washing his brand new car, and uh, he tells pretty much us the audience about a game that he was supposed to lose and it's supposed to be blown out, but they end up winning. And a reporter that was reporting on the game talks about how you know Irvin's not a fun name in black and white. It's got to give a little more pizzazz. And so the reporter gives him the nickname of Magic. So that's how Magic got his name. Uh, so then we we go to Magic talking to his dad. And Magic, asks, so do you think I'm a good man? And you know. Magic's dad's like, why would you ask me that? He's like, because I don't know if mom really thinks so. Uh, so the Irvin Senior kind of explains to, to Magic, you know, that's your mom. Your mom has her way. Um, you know, she loves to run the show, but she loves her child more. Aw, cue the odds. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I like so, it. Yeah. So then we cut to Jerry uh, back, uh, Jerry Buss, back in uh, the forum. Uh, and he's telling us the audience about uh, Wyoming having his own kind of cold. And he explains to us how he used to have to work out, out in the fields and how his stepfather would show up and laugh at him while he's bleeding. He's cutting his knuckles. Uh, so obviously he set up a meeting with Red there on the forums. So Red shows up and Red talks about how last time he was there was in 69 for the finals where, uh, you know, Jack Cook had suit up, set up some balloons because, you know, pretty much saying that we knew we were going to they knew they were going to win. So that really kind of spurned Red on and, you know, kind of <laughs> helped inspire him to beat them so they couldn't drop those balloons. Um, so, you know, Bus explains to him, you know, that, you know, Red, you were right. You know, I could have waltzed in and spent a bunch of money and won. But, you know, I've been thinking about what, what the team really needs. He said, what I really need is that I need to cut your heart out. He says, and Red tells me he doesn't have it, but says he does. He says, I'm going to beat your ass and be everybody's ass this year, next year, and every other year. So it seems like Red is really kind of, uh, you know, woken up the beast here. Yeah. And there's a lot of dramatic fodder uh, with the magic and bird of it all, with the Lakers and Celtics mm-hmm. of it all. They're going to have a lot of fun if they want to with this story. And placing Red and Jerry at a at heart of this only adds to the drama that is already there and will come out, no doubt, depending on how long they make the show. Yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's good. Good scene. Yeah, I hope we get more scenes like yeah. this throughout throughout the uh, throughout the series because uh, you know John C. Riley and, and uh, Michael Chiklis really kind of make good foils for each other and uh, they, yeah. they really kind of really perform well in these scenes together. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to uh, kind of the office in the form and uh, Claire, you know, has has gotten Jeannie's notebook. Jeannie apologizes to Claire for letting the the files get taken. Uh, Claire explains that she did overreact uh, and she she tells her the story. You know, it's hard being the only female. She tells the story about a a. Uh, a arena she used to run in Philadelphia that went bankrupt and she didn't want to say anything because she didn't want to be the scold, but then she ended up having to be the one basically to hand out the pink slips. Uh, so Jeannie says, you know, her dad would never let that happen to the forum. Um, and Claire asked Jeannie if she would uh, let her read her notebook. Uh, and so, he says, of course. I thought a couple uh, interesting things here. I mean, so uh, Jeannie sort of like being the one who is defending her father uh, a, a bit uh, to Claire. I think it's interesting. I think Claire realizes that uh, Jerry is is not a uh, uh, cook, uh, previous owner. You know, this is, uh, you know, uh, better than, than previous. But I mean, Jerry Buss is still saying like, Tell me what what do you get a hard on for? You yeah, know, what like turns you still, on? What turns you on? You know, it's like I don't wake up unless I do anything in my life unless I have a hard on. You know, like he's he's pretty crass. You know, uh, when I talk about like locker room talk, it sort yeah. of feels a little bit like locker room talk. You know, and so but Jeannie like- has this. You know, uh, it feels like she's defending her father, right? Like when she's like the company was going under and whatever, and she's like, my dad would never let that happen. Like you know, uh, I think 
has more trust in her father than perhaps Claire does. So I'm interested in how that relationship um, works out. I also really like that. Like Claire didn't read the, the notebook as far as we are supposed to, perhaps she had already read it, but the fact that she's like, you might have to read it. Like, I think I trust you, you know, it's like uh, kind of like a nice little touch that I think they added in there. Did you feel like it was a little bit of a repeat from the, from the pilot? Cause I felt like we got it. We got a little of them bonding in the pilot and it feels like we kind of re redid that in this episode. It feels like a repilot on a lot of in a lot of ways this episode to me, uh, and like the scene you mentioned earlier, Jason, that had not resonated uh, in the way that it did with with magic and Brian on the court uh, with reflecting the magic and Norm Nixon of it all. Like there is a little bit of a repilot that goes on here. I think uh, it builds on what was established in the pilot, but we're hitting us some of the same notes and shows often do that. I think that there was a long time. And y'all can yeah, they correct shot the me pilot if I'm a long time ago, and they had to take a long break because of COVID. Right, it was so like a year and a yeah. half or something, right? Yeah. So, it, it it makes sense that maybe like the way that the show was broken and the way the show was structured, that they unconsciously did it or they consciously did it. Like, let's reset the pieces on the board a little bit. Let's reestablish some of these relationships that were in the pilot because we maybe don't you know we don't know exactly what's going to what's going to come or if we're gonna if we're gonna use what we're gonna use how we're gonna cut it together like i don't know about the the history of that however um i think i think you're right that there is a reflection because in the first episode right wasn't it like my dad's not like jack can't cook in that he's not going to harass you He's not going to be a guy that berates you. Yeah. That is that is like like sexually advanced that advances on you. He will respect you for your mind and your your value, your, your what you can contribute to this this enterprise. Not how sexy you are or whatever. That he's well, not, he, that's not who he is. She tells a story about being like flashed by someone, and then uh, is it a dondo, Jason? I can't remember the exact. Yeah, yeah it's like you know someone who spins the wheel and then that's you have to figure out who you're going to be that day based on where the wheel landed and and is your dad like that and she doesn't answer the scene but then the next scene is like her the two of them coming in and being like hey jack's gonna screw you over on the deal you're gonna have to have all the money you have to have all the money you can't have the assets right leading us to believe that that genie would say no my dad's not like that he trusts you and for her to be like okay good right. let me tell him about the deal because i'd rather work for yeah, jerry than see- for jack we didn't but, see all that conversation, so maybe they wanted to really reinforce with this conversation that that's kind of what the bond they're building. The, the other world is uh, this does not feel like an HBO move, but there are a lot of TV shows that will do the like uh, Amazon Prime is doing this a lot where they're like, hey, here are the first three episodes. And I, it's so different. This is like it, Amazon Prime like is so different than like HBO. So I don't really see this, but there are a lot of shows that it almost feels like a two hour pilot. Um, the, these two episodes, right? That like if you actually if they aired at once. I actually feel like coming out of the first episode, I'd be very excited to be like, oh, that was great. That was so good. Look how much they've like set up and we got so much character development. But the fact that it's like these happen in back to back weeks, I don't know. The pacing just feels magic's not in L.A. yet. That's the big part, right? Like he's not he's not there yet. Like so they're they're dealing with a lot of that stuff. And I think in doing so, we have a richer portrait. But I understand what you're saying about the pacing and scenes like this one and the next one to me feel like pilot scenes like they feel like they're they're treading on the same ground they're repeating a little bit um but i i do like the idea that genie can teach claire and claire can teach genie uh and that the two of them can rise together and grow together uh and and i think this scene sort of reinforces that in a way because claire has a lot of knowledge about what it was like to be a woman working at the time that she did back in 1940 like she says uh, or whenever the first arena uh, in the the bankruptcy and not wanting to be the scold, she can give Jeannie that perspective, and Jeannie will respect it and value it. 
but Jeannie has a, a lot of youthful energy and is smart and sharp, and she's her dad's daughter. So she's going to help Claire in ways that, that will enable Claire, I think, to help the Lakers more. So I like the scenes between the two of them. Like I said earlier, I really liked this one as well. I think the thing that's like hitting for is that the acting is really good. Like I'm a huge Gabby Hoffman fan. Um, she's I'm great. Sure, I'm not sure I have. Uh, uh, it's uh, Hadley Robinson is playing Jeannie. I think she's doing a tremendous job. And it's rich character um, development stuff. And, and to me, I'm I'm much more... Uh, I'm always looking for the show that is high on character development and less so on like the plot, uh, the plot points of the story, you know? Um, and so my critique, I think it's like, I don't think it's bad. Uh, it's a little different than what I'm expecting, but also at the same time, I will say like there's two episodes there. It's 10 episode show. Um, if I look back at the end of the season, be like, yeah, gosh, they really like were slow to get out of the gate. Um, that's fine. But, but for now, there's so much more that I think um, we have lots of runway left is what I'd say. I really hope they find time to get interaction between uh, Claire, Jeannie, and uh, Jesse Bus. I think that'd be that would oh, be a yeah, fun, be a fun scene to see. Very funny to see yes. the multiple generations of different types of women that have to deal with Jerry Bus and that have to deal with <laughs> each other as yep. a result of being connected to the Lakers. That would be very fun. Uh, I I like the dimensionality too. I, I brought up earlier those shows like People versus O.J. Simpson or the American Crime Stories with the Clintons or uh, with Andrew Cunanan and those stories or uh, the Dropout or the shows like that because. Depending on the show, you get a different level of depth to your character performance. Uh, and so because this one, as I said earlier, is adapting a book that that went deep on the backstories of all the various players, that's what made it a book more than anything was Norm Nixon. This is what Norm Nixon was like. This is where he was raised. This is what he was like in high school. This is what he was like in college. You know, getting that level of depth to all the various players in this dramatic story uh, is what the book is. So it is in the spirit of the book, I think, to dwell down on these character moments and to build out the backstory of these characters for sure. Well, the other thing you had said at one point, Antonio, and I think it was before we go in the air, is that this this will be a show. It's as much about the the it's about the characters and how the character the characters, they're real people, but the characters in this specific show fundamentally change the NBA, fundamentally right. alter the NBA. And you have to show the before you have to show what the NBA was in order to understand how it changed. Uh, and so I can see that perspective too, that um, yeah, does it seem like a kind of a lot to be like, you know, having this like Jerry West uh, to, to do a lot with, you know, we, we see him in the pilot and then in this episode, there's like so much Jerry West, but he kind of in some ways represents the, the old style of NBA. I think red uh, Auerbach here represents yep. the old style of NBA. And so I feel like there's a world in which they really want to hammer that point home that like, this is what it was like. It's like not super fun. Uh, right. It's like going to be like, it's hard work. And, and as a result, like bowling is beating them in the ratings to then show us that Jerry Buss will develop uh, a culture where, where it is fun to win. Uh, and you do win, you know? So yeah. Jerry Buss didn't get their votes. Uh, he's telling octogenarian right. owners in that room, did you ever have a blowjob with champagne? <laughs> like he is different. Like Jerry yeah. Buss hits yeah. different and yeah. he's going to hit the NBA different just like Magic Johnson's going to, yes. and it is going to change the Jerry Wests of the world and the Claire Rothmans of the world. Like those people that are from 1940 or that are part of the old guard, they'll have to adapt or they'll or 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 go extinct uh, and be swept over by this. And so, seeing the way the various characters, what what role they play in all of that, um, I think the show's doing a good job of laying that out. Yeah. And then, you know, to kind of put a cap on that, I mean, we get the final scene of, of the episode where Jerry Buss comes in and storms up on a desk in the office as, as you know, 
the, the Lakers franchise as we know it right now today dies today. He says, no more selling for good enough. They're playing to win every game. He needs everyone to invest everything they have. Whatever it takes to make the organization a world champion, he needs Claire, Bill, Jerry, and everyone else says they, they're close to promised land. They, they need everything they need. He says, and Jerry West chimes in. He says, there's just one piece that doesn't fit. And you, if you know, say it's says, magic, oh, Jerry. Don't tell me it's magic, Jerry. Don't tell me it's magic. He says, no, it's me. And he hands in his letter of resignation. Uh, and Jerry, Jerry kind of flashes us a look at the end. He's yeah. like, really? Now? Yeah, I do. I do think the I, I said last week, like, we'll see if the like fourth wall thing uh, continues uh, to work. I know some people are sick of it. I quite like it. I don't mind the like yeah, at the end of the episode getting the, the Jerry bus looking right at the camera. Um, I think it's fun. I, I kind of love uh, one way they did it this episode when he's telling the story about Wyoming. And talking about how it's cold, it feels like he doesn't even finish the story. Like it feels like Red kind of like walks in uh, and in and enters the the court, and he, he gets interrupted there. Um, so I, I think it is working for me um, the style. And um, yeah, this to me, although again, it's, it's had a lot about pacing this episode, but I do feel like you know, this is a pretty big definitive plot point moment um, that will lead us uh, into uh, you know uh, a new sort of era uh, of the Lakers um, with uh, yeah. Pat Riley, yeah. Directed by Jonah Hill this episode. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, directed by the, Jonah uh, Hill. Any instances of what you thought like is a Jonah Hill directorial, uh, you know, signature? It's the dog's humping for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Classic Jonah Hill. Yeah, it was, uh, dog's it was the dog's humping for me, I think. Uh, I, I, what made me think of that, I mean, it's, I had written it down um, because I was just like, Jonah Hill, huh? Okay, I mean, I know he's directed... Uh, I, I forget what the movie was called. Mid nineties. Uh, Mid nineties. Yeah, it was yeah. like a coming of age or some kind of high school movie. I know. Uh, I thought. I think that's what it was. Um, yeah. And I, I. So I'm not surprised. He's you know he's an Adam McKay guy. Like they're very mm-hmm. connected. Uh, and it, it is in no way surprising to me that he's doing this. But Grace, what you were just saying about the fourth wall breaking. Uh, there are a couple of moments in this episode where it really worked for me, uh, mainly when Magic would look at the camera uh, and really yes. kind of be monologuing to the camera, because to me, that that is like, OK, this is a Magic performance that we're getting right now. This is Magic yeah. literally performing for an audience with his Magic persona. And that's what we're doing by acknowledging the fourth wall. And sometimes it was just him like saying a couple words right to the camera when he was in the middle of a speech. And it was like, oh, so. His audience meaning is this like that's almost like his hidden meaning what he wants us to know about what's going on. That's not that does not necessarily match what he's saying to the character in the scene like that, I think, is actually use of the fourth wall breaking, not just for humor, but as a character moment. Uh, And so it worked for me in that moment. Um, And I think there are interesting things that can be done with it uh, in that realm. Uh, I you're right to observe like how Jerry almost gets interrupted by Red Auerbach walking in and that story feels incomplete. It's like we don't belong in their rivalry. We can belong with Jerry West performing for or Jerry Buss performing for us and showing off for us. But here's this guy that that actually has his goat a little bit. We don't belong there. It's the two of them. We're not we're not, we don't we're not in the scene anymore. Like that, that our role in it is gone. It, it's now just the two of them. Like there are actually smart dramatic things or storytelling things you can do with that. And I think we saw some of that this episode. I don't know if that's Jonah Hill or not, but if it is, good on Jonah. Well, the two, the two, am I correct that the only two people we've seen seen do it are Magic and uh, Jerry Buss? Have we seen anybody else? No, like, we, 
we saw Frank. Frank. Do it in the Frank first did episode. it. Yeah, I could see Claire doing it at some or Jeannie at some point doing it. We saw um, Jesse do it a little bit this episode, I think. So the one I think uh, I think that's a that's such a good a point that magic and I think it, the the point of magic sort of putting something on and turning to us to say, okay, hey, ready? Like watch this. Um, because so much of the show is at least magic storyline so far is proving himself, uh, right. proving himself to his mother, proving himself to Norm Nixon, proving himself to the Lakers, proving himself to his father, to himself. Can he be what everybody thinks he is going to be? And so I, I, that's such a good observation that he's turning and saying like, Hey, watch me now. Cause like, cause he's doing it at moments where he's going to shine. Right. It's like, right. Hey, watch me right now. I'm magic Johnson. Watch this. He's doing it. And to an, to an extent, I think that a lot of like where Jerry Buss is doing it, he does have this like cars salesman feel um, where uh, the most notable example for me is last, there's two, uh, I think last episode when he says like, all right, now watch me paddle uh, when he he bluffs uh, Cook uh, about the assets. And then this episode when he's speaking with Red and he, he tried the real estate thing, right? Like he tries the, hey, here's the group of women. We'll catch him later. And as soon as Red says it, and he goes, classic Celtics defense. And he comes back, right? Like he's like, mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah. it didn't quite work, but it's okay. I have like a plan for that. And actually that's a moment where he doesn't exactly, you know, he he, he kind of like falters in that moment, right? Um, uh, Red kind of calls him out for exactly. Uh, it's still bravado though. Like it is it's, bravado, still, it's still him trying to turn a moment where he looked bad or yes. did it did not succeed for him. And shake and, and like, oh, look how cool I am. I can just let that slide right off with a Bon Mott, you know, like a, right. a little witty remark uh, that will make you realize that I'm thick skinned and this this doesn't get to me. And it's like almost they need to talk to somebody else to prove that to themselves. Right. Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's sometimes it's sometimes it's just for funny. Like sometimes sure. it is just for comedy. But I do think there it doesn't have to just be that there can be more to it. And I sensed a little bit of that in this episode. And it's something that I'll be interested to track throughout the rest of this season for sure is like, when are we doing it? Who's doing it? And why are they doing it in that moment? Um, is it exposition-y? Is it uh, to try to save face when they've just been dunked on somehow? Uh, or is it to come off uh, some type of way? Whatever it is, I'll be tracking that. I believe uh, to dunk on somebody is a basketball term. Antonio. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. It's also a cookie <laughs> term. I had to do with donuts. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> We're on the same page, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Food related. Uh, that's the I, only dunk that I do. Yeah. And uh, that's our episode. That's where we leave off the episode. So uh, oh. like, like we've been saying, very fun episode. Interesting to see where it goes from here. Uh, we, I believe we will get uh, new characters coming in. Uh, to fill the void for Jerry West next episode. So that'll be interesting to see how that uh, all comes about. Yeah, I can't help myself. I like look at the like uh, Wikipedia page and it's like all the recurring characters and you just see the list of all the people who are like, you know, eventually are coming. Uh, it is very exciting to me. Um, yeah, that's our that's our episode. Antonio, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's so smart. It's so fun to so listen. much fun, so much knowledge, show. Antonio. I like <laughs> it's such a yeah. good time. This was so fun. Thank you, yeah. thank you both so much. Uh, I really, uh, I'm really glad that y'all are covering this show, and uh, I'm I'm having a good time. It's just a good time. This show is just yeah. a good time, and I'm enjoying it. And I'm enjoying that there's a little more depth to it than I expected. And I'm looking forward to the possibility that there could be more, and that they could really do more with this story because they seem to be interested in doing that. So. Uh, it was a thrill to come on here uh, and talk to you all about it for sure. Could you could you see a world in which like this show you talked about um, like the crime stories, right? Uh, the, what is it? American crime stories at the, uh -huh. the show. Could you see a world in which like 
HBO is like, Adam McKay, what sports story would you like to do next? Let's anthologize it. And where do you know, do you do the Yank, you know, do you see some Yankee story? Do you, I know there's not like, you know, this is based on a book, uh, but that could be fun. No, if like the sports anthology story show, that's like American. I don't know if that's Adam McKay's jam um, or if he's just in that for this one, but that could be fun. It could be really fun. There's, there should be an audience for that. And as I said, like the people versus OJ could have been a, a much bigger story than it was just about the trial because the ESPN OJ document, OJ Made in America, the documentary that they made was. It was about his time at USC. It was about his time before that. Uh, it was about his time in the NFL. Um, it, the portrait of OJ, the person in the the American crime stories, they're fun. They're enjoyable. They're popcorn. But there's they're often lacking depth. Uh, I think the Andrew Cunanan one was pretty good, actually. But the OJ one, which I loved, was not the, the deepest of shows. It was just sure. really like a recitation of the, the events of the trial and and all of that. But there's a world where you could tell really interesting sports stories through this kind of lens. The 30 for 30 series is extremely yeah. popular. Yeah. Um, so saying let's dramatize some of that stuff and make it a serial and anthology. Uh, hey, it's not my money, but somebody should spend their money on that. Yeah, sure. HBO, if you are looking for an executive producer for this idea, yeah. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> three uh, of us, the three of us right here, we'll take right. that on. Uh, Antonio, what uh, what do you have anything else going on? Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, please, if you're interested in Better Call Saul, uh, we're yes. podcasting about Better Call Saul here at Post Show Recaps. Josh Wiggler and I are covering the final season of Better Call Saul when it debuts in late April. But in the run-up to that, we are re-watching Better Call Saul seasons one through five. We're doing a podcast about each one of those seasons. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday nights. Uh, I think those podcasts will be dropping shortly after that. So we've, we've only done one so far, sort of a primer on where we're at with Better Call Saul and our plans and everything as we left it for season five. And our season one rewatch starts this week. Uh, so look it up. Uh, it's the Post Show Recaps Better Call Saul podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you want to uh, chat with me, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at AC Mazzaro with two Z's and one R. And you can also find me in the Post Show Recaps patron discord. Incredible. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at High from Grace. Uh, doing lots of stuff over here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, finished our Euphoria coverage uh, last week, but that feedback show was really fun uh, with Bryce Isaiah uh, covering uh, movies weekly. With Ariel this week, we are covering the Disney Pixar film Turning Red. We'll be joined by Karen from Canada. Um, yeah, uh, Raised by Wolves, uh, covering with Josh and Taryn. Uh, Our Flag Means Death. I really love the HBO stuff. Uh, Our Flag Means Death, an HBO pirate show with Taika Waititi and Reese Darby, covering that with Sarah Carradine and Brooklyn Zed. So uh, lots for me. And if you are a sports fan, you might want to check out uh, uh, the uh, the Off Speed podcast, a newly renamed uh, the Sports Rehap Up over on Rob as a podcast, where each week we will dive into a different world of sport or a different sports story, chat about it, and play some games along the way. So that's the Off Speed podcast over on the Rob has a podcast network. Uh, what about you, Jason? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jayr1085, and uh, you can join me every week with my co-host Asia Welch as we cover Married at First Sight. Uh, we're in the middle of the season right now. We're having a fun time talking about these deranged people. Um, so you can join me there every week. And uh, for anything else I'm doing, just check out my Twitter. I'll post it there as it comes. All right, and that's it for this week. Everybody, keep dreaming and keep driven. <laughs>